Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you. Hope you've had a good first week of your new year. I uh, wanted to just say thank you for being here and uh, Mer- Happy New Year to you. Merry New Year. Is it Happy New Year? Yeah, Happy New Year. There we go. Good to see you. Um, as you saw, we're, we're starting this year. This is going to be a different kind of year for us. We are, we are extending a real challenge before each of our members, and that includes you, and I hope you'll consider that. Starting today, for over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about each one of those four challenges and uh, helping to understand why we should take them and how we can make them uh, most profitable for each one of us. So if you would, open your Bible to Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Joshua 1, 7 through 8. So I read this story years ago about this young couple in Illinois that were getting married. And so for their wedding night, they booked the bridal suite in the nicest hotel in town. This is a small town in Illinois. And wedding day comes, wedding night comes, groom carries his bride across the threshold of their bridal suite and then notices this doesn't seem to be all that nice. I mean, the room is well appointed, but it's very small. It's not really any bigger than a regular hotel room. And in fact, as they look closer, there doesn't even seem to be a bed in there. Now, they look a little closer at the, at the couch, and it seems that the couch folds out into a bed, but that doesn't seem very bridal suite-ish, if you know what I mean. But, you know, they had other things on their minds, and so they decided, we're not going to pursue this any further. We'll just fold out the couch bed and just make do. Well, in the morning, when they woke up, and they were both red-eyed and had sore backs, and they hadn't slept much, they said, we need to say something about this. We spent a lot of money on this. This is miserable. So they would go downstairs. They confront the hotel manager, and they're like, hey, we bought a, a night and a bridal suite, and you gave us the worst. I mean, this is tiny. It was, it was poorly appointed. What are you thinking? And the hotel manager says, well, I just don't understand. I, I've never had any complaints before. Everybody's already loved it. And he said, listen, there's not even a bed in that room. And the hotel manager sat there and he thought for a second and he said, well, I mean, you did open the door, right? And they said, what door? So he takes them upstairs to the bridal suite. He walks them in through the room they had been in, opens the door that they thought was just a closet, and it opens into this massive bedroom. with a king-size bed and flowers and champagne and chocolates and the whole nine yards. And they were amazed. They didn't think to go any further. And that story always reminds me of the way a lot of us live the Christian life. A lot of us are just basically still in the entry room of our Christian faith. Somebody along the way shared with us that Jesus loves us and can save us from our sins. And we said, hey, I need some of that. And we've prayed and we've been forgiven and we know we're his. But we haven't gone any further. We haven't pursued him any further. We may truly be his children, but we haven't gone through that door to abundant life. The life he had planned for us. Either because no one ever explained to us there was more to it, to it than that, than just go to church once a week and take your lumps for an hour and then just do your best the rest of the week. Either because we don't know there's more to it or because we know there's more and it just seems like so much effort. As G.K. Chesterton said a long time ago, Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. So that's why, that's why we're challenging you this year with this all-in challenge. All four of these challenges, we believe, are going to increase your faith in Christ. They're going to change your life in a very powerful way. They're going to, they're going to set you on a course that is going to transform your character and mine. And that's something we should be about as a church. 
That's something we should be about as individual people. Today, I want to talk to you about that first challenge, about reading God's Word. And we're starting with this passage in Joshua. I don't know if you know the story of Joshua well. If you don't, you're going to know it this year. Trust me. But here's the situation. You've heard of Moses, right? Charlton Heston, you know, the Ten Commandments. So Moses, at the age of 80, comes and leads the the people of Israel, this hundreds of thousands of slaves in Egypt, leads them to freedom with all these miracles, all this amazing stuff God does, leads them through the, the Red Sea, which parts at his command, leads them through the desert for 40 years as they struggle through the, the Syrian desert all the way to the cusp of the promised land. And the promised land is what we know today is Israel. So there they sit, they sit on the cusp of the promised land, right across the Jordan River from Palestine, and Moses dies. At the age of 120, he gives up the ghost. He goes to be with the Lord. And God says, I want Joshua, who's been Moses' faithful second-hand guy, his his faithful backup, his faithful co-pilot, I want him to take charge. Now imagine being the follower of a great leader like that. You would be intimidated, especially if you knew what your job was. Joshua's job was, you've got to lead these people across the Jordan River, and they have to invade the promised land. And there's all these people who have been there for centuries, and they say, this is our place. We're not giving you any room here. You're going to have to fight them. You're going to have to fight city by city to claim the land. If you'll follow me, you'll win, but it's, it's a big task. So if you've ever seen any war movies, how many of you have ever seen a war movie, right? Okay, so in war movies, there's always the scene where the commanding officer gives a big pep talk to his troops. That's what this passage is. This is God giving Joshua his pep talk. So let's read chapter 1 of Joshua 1, verses 7 through 8. These are the words of God to Joshua. He says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Now, what is all the law my servant Moses gave you? That's what we know as the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Numbers, or through Deuteronomy, that is, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. He says, know those things, obey those things. He says, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So I find it interesting that on the eve of this invasion, God speaks to the commanding officer, and he doesn't say anything related to military strategy. He doesn't say anything about, hey, here's where we're going to deploy you. Here's where we're going to invade. Here's where we're going to fight. He says, Moses wrote down those books. He wrote down my law. You better know that stuff. You better read it. You better study it. You better, in fact, he says, keep it on your lips. Don't you find it interesting? He says, keep it on your lips. Well, that's because in ancient times, that's how you learn something. You learned it by speaking it. You would read it, and then you would walk away, or someone would read it to you, because a lot of people in that culture weren't literate, and you would walk away repeating those words to yourself, sort of the way you and I would do when we hear a new song that we really like, and we go along singing it to ourselves. Or we go to a movie, and there's some really funny lines or some, some really cool lines, and we'll repeat those to one another. This is what the ancient people would do. They would, they would say those words to each other and to themselves, and God says, keep this word on your lips. And if you do that then you'll succeed. Now, we're challenging you to read the entire Bible. That's a Genesis all the way to Revelation. We've chosen a, a reading plan that we think is, is 
optimal for this because instead of just starting with the beginning and, and plowing on to the end, I know some of you have tried that before and you got bogged down in Leviticus and quit and decided I'm a terrible person. So instead, we've chosen a, a, a reading plan that has readings from two books of the Old Testament every day, two books from the New Testament every day. So right now we're starting in Genesis and Psalms and Matthew and Acts. And it takes about 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how fast you read, 15 to 20 minutes a day to read your daily reading. There's only five a week, so if you fall behind, you've got a couple of week, couple of days each week to catch up. This is, this is a plan you can do. What I've been doing, what, what helps me, is I read the first two in the morning and the second two at night before I go to bed. But you do it however you want. My point is this. There's a lot of you sitting here saying, okay, that's all well and good. I just don't think I can do it. I mean, I've tried it in the past. It didn't work out for me. Or you'll say to me, I'm just not a big reader. And I get that. Some people, reading isn't your thing. Just like, you know, auto mechanics isn't my thing. You know, you you might say, I'm just not all that spiritual. I'm not all that smart. You can do this. And I want to tell you why you should. Why you should commit to read the entire Bible in 2019. Three reasons, and then I got three warnings and a tip, okay? You ready? So three reasons why. Number one, because the Bible is how we know God. The Bible is how we know God. Think about the ways we define success in our culture. What do we say is a successful life? We look at someone, and if people know their name, if they're famous, we say, wow, they're really successful. Or if someone has made enough money that they can afford to buy stuff they don't need to impress people they don't like, we call that success. Or, even worse, and I say this as a sports fan, but I realize how ridiculous this is, we call someone successful if they're really good at throwing a ball, or hitting a ball, or catching a ball, or shooting a ball into an iron hoop, right? That's success. What does the Bible call success? What does God call success. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 is a great passage for us as, as 21st century Americans. God says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Please understand, God is not saying if you know God, you should walk around bragging about it. I know God and you don't. He's saying, what do you value? What do you value most about yourself? What, are you, what is your highest goal? Your highest goal should be to know God. That's success. Here's another one in Philippians 3.8. Paul is writing and he's talking about all the accomplishments he had before he met Jesus. You you may not know Paul's story, but Paul was a very religious man. Um, He knew God. He knew about God, but he didn't know Christ. And he says in Philippians 3.8, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What Paul is saying is, I used to have all these accomplishments. I used to be considered a successful human being because I, all these boxes I could check off. But then when I met Jesus, all that went away. All the stuff I considered great, I lost it. And now, now that I know Jesus and I've lost all those things, my goal is not, okay, now I'm going to go reclaim the things I lost. No, I don't care about that stuff anymore. That, that stuff's all garbage to me now. Now, I just want to know him more because that's what success looks like. 
See, to both Jeremiah and to Paul, success had nothing to do with what you gain for yourself or what you accomplish or how many people know your name or, 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 or what, you can, uh, what you can accumulate. It had everything to do with how well you know the Lord. And how do you know God? I mean, really, how do you know a God you can't see or hear? He's given us his word. Now, the Bible is not the only way God reveals himself to us. He reveals himself to us through other people, through the children of God, uh, through words of wise people, through nature and, and through other things in creation. But the Bible is the only infallible, unimpeachable source of authority on who God is and what he is like. Let me tell you a story. When uh, I was at my previous church, and this is several years ago, there was a man in our church named Jim. Jim was uh, uh, one of these guys who was in church every Sunday. He served in ministry. He was very faithful. I didn't know him super well, but we knew each other on a first-name basis, and we were cordial. All of a sudden, Jim quit coming to church. And someone brought it to my attention. They said, I haven't seen Jim in forever. Have you? I said, no, I haven't either. So I said, well, I better go see him and see what's going on. And I went to Jim's house, and he didn't seem happy to see me. In fact, he was like, oh, yeah, you can come in if you want to. He'd never, we'd never had crosswords. I didn't understand what was going on. And so we sat down, and he told me, he said, I'm not coming back to your church. He said, I heard what you said about me. People told me that in the deacons meeting, you said I, that I was a big hypocrite, and you were going to run me out of the church, and you even told those deacons that it's going to be like when David slew Goliath when I throw him out of this church. And this was all news to me. I didn't know where this was coming from. And, and I, I had two thoughts. I thought, well, maybe, maybe Jim, is, Jim was a little older. Maybe Jim was starting to lose it emotionally, mentally, and, and this was just a, uh, a, you know, something he dreamed up. Or you know, Jim was, was a tall man. He was about six foot three, and I'm not six foot three. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm a little, little shorter than that. And so I thought maybe somebody was just teasing him and saying, ah, that little preacher is going to run you out just to mess with him. And he took it seriously. To this day, I don't know where that came from. But here's the good news of the story. I was able to say, Jim, none of that's true. I don't know who told you that. I don't want to know who told you that. But it didn't happen. We want you here. You're valuable to us. He believed me. He came back to church. We had a great relationship from then on. But here's my point. It made me think, I wonder how many of us believe stuff about God that's not true. Because we heard it somewhere. We heard it from some TV preacher, or we heard it from our neighbor, or we heard it from our, our uncle, or we heard it just from our own suppositions. Well, I bet God is this way. And we, like Jim, we didn't take the time to go to the source and say, Lord, what are you really like? Show me in your word who you are. So the Bible tells us if, if it's not in the Bible, it's not true of God. And if it's in the Bible, it's true of him. We can judge our beliefs. We can judge the teachings of others about, about God based on what the Bible says, because scripture is God's word about himself. It's how we know God. Secondly, it's how we know ourselves. It's how we know ourselves. So imagine that you've got a friend who is a brilliant doctor. In fact, one of the best in the world. And one day you're talking to her about your family history and how, well, my, my uncle had this disease and so he died rather young. And I, my grandmother, she didn't make it very long. In fact, I never knew her because she had this disorder. And, and you're going through that family tree and imagine your doctor friend says to you, 
you know, listen, I got good news for you. Everything you're describing can be prevented or can be cured as long as we get to it early enough. So since you and I are friends, how about you just come to see me once every two or three months and I'll give you a full examination, no charge at all, not even for the test because you and I are friends. I want to take care of you. I want you to be there for your family. And so we'll keep an eye on your body and make sure we can take care of the things that are wrong with you in time. Now that's a great offer. But what if you said, no, 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 I don't, I, don't, I don't want that. See, my argument is that if you refuse an offer like that, you're being extremely selfish. You've got a family that's counting on you. You've got an offer that could actually extend your life. And you say, no, 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 I don't really want to know what's wrong with me. I'd rather live in blissful ignorance until the day I just die. Well, that's the way a lot of us live as Christians because we say, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy with who I am. Actually, we're not. We want to be richer and taller and prettier. But, but we say, I, I like who I am, so leave me alone, God, when the Word of God is there to examine our hearts, not just once or twice a year, but daily. Hebrews, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I love that scripture because I have come to a conclusion, and I think it's about time you came to the same conclusion, because I think you and I have this in common. I'm not good at judging myself. See, in my eyes, I'm usually right about things. In my eyes, my sins are real, but they're not as disgusting as your sins, right? In my mind, in my mind, I'm usually I'm usually the good guy. And yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than most. I think that's the way all of us are. We can't adequately judge ourselves. We need someone from the outside to come in and judge us. And the Word of God is a sharp-edged sword. It's a surgeon's scalpel that penetrates right to the heart of what needs to happen in your life. You need the Word of God. And as you read the Word of God, you will see things that challenge the way you think. And if you can't remember the last time you changed the way you think or the way you behave based on something God said, then that's a problem. Because that should be happening all the time, whether you are 8 years old or 88 years old. And we've got people in this room older than that. So yeah, just extend that on until you stand in the presence of God. It's how we know ourselves. You can't say you want to know God if you don't read the Word. You can't say you want a better life if you won't know yourself and know what God's Word says about you. Third thing, it shows us how to live. It shows us how to live. You ever heard people say that the Bible is God's instruction manual for life? Anybody ever heard something like that, right? So people like to say that the, words, the letters B-I-B-L-E stand for basic instruction before leaving earth. We say things like that. Okay, it's like the instruction manual. This is how you know right from wrong. And all that's true. But I want you to know something. The Bible is more than a list of rules. That's unfortunately the way a lot of people look at it. It's, it's a list of God's commands on, on what to do and what not to do. But if, if you turn the Bible into simply a book of rules, one of two things is going to happen to you. Either you're going to have a very entitled mentality where you say to the Lord and to the world, hey, I'm better than the rest of people because I read this, this book and I know this book and I'm obeying this book and so God owes me a good life. 
Or you'll go the opposite direction. You'll look at the commands in Scripture and say, I can't do that. There's no way. There's no hope for me. I might as well not try. But I've got good news. The Bible is not simply an instruction manual for life. Are there commands in Scripture? Yes. Is it a good idea to follow those commands? Absolutely. But look at what Psalm 119, 105 says. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. See, God doesn't say, here's my standards, follow them or else. He says in, God, in His word, He says, here's who I am. And here's how to live a life alongside me. The Bible is actually a love letter from God to us saying, I want you to know me and I want you to know what it means to follow me. Come live alongside me and here's how to do it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Think of those words that he spoke to Joshua that we read at the beginning. He said, if you will keep these words on your, lip, on your lips, you will prosper and have success. I want to make sure you understand something, okay? I'm, I'm not preaching on TBN right now, okay? This is not a promise that if you read the Bible, your paycheck is going to go up and you're going to get that promotion you've wanted and that, that cute guy that you were hoping was going to ask you out is going to ask you out. That's not what success means. When he's speaking to Joshua and says prosper and have success, remember, the task before Joshua was what? To invade the promised land. Joshua was sitting there at the beginning, just like that young couple sitting in the entryway of that hotel room. Joshua was sitting right at the beginning of God's great promises, and God says, you're going to miss it if you don't know my word. You're going to make wrong choices, and it's going to steer you away from my plan, so follow this. God says the same to us. He's got a plan for your life. For You were created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared ahead of time for you to do, and you'll miss those if you're not in his word. So here's the thing. I don't, I don't care how old you are. We all have regrets. We all have things we wish we could change about ourselves and things we've done and said in the past. Things we said that we can't take back. Moments when we forgot about our self-control and did stuff that we knew wasn't right. That period of life we went through where we drifted into a pattern of behavior that became an addiction that we still fight today. Or times when we quit instead of, saying, instead of staying the course. Or, or times when we should have walked away, but we didn't. And we can't go back in time. We can't change the things we've done in the past. Even though we're forgiven, we still have those regrets. But hey, wouldn't it be great... I'm just saying, wouldn't it be great if we could look back someday at 2019 and say, that's the year I started living with wisdom. That's the year I started making good decisions. That's the year when I started loving people the way they should be loved. That's the year I started forgiving people when they hurt me instead of stirring it up in my heart. That's the year I started dealing with this temper that always gets me into trouble. That's the year when I, I, I stopped living in constant fear and anxiety, but actually was able to turn things over to God and experience His peace. That's the year when I became a person who had joy, no matter my circumstances. Man, I used to, I used to go up and down like a roller coaster. Now I just have constant joy. And 2019 was the beginning of it. Wisdom comes from studying God's Word. Good choices come from getting God's Word into your mind, into your heart. And again, reading the Bible isn't magic. You actually have to do what it says for it to be effective. But you have to read it to know what it says. See, for a Christian to try to live a daily life without being actively in the Word, 
is as foolish as trying to walk through a stranger's house in the dark without a light on, without a flashlight, without a candle. God's Word is the light to your feet, a light to your heart. Why not study it and know how to live? So, have I sold you yet? What do I have to do to get you into God's Word, right? I want to give you three warnings. Three warnings and a tip, okay? I mean, I, I hope I've sold you. I hope when you leave today, you're going to go out that door. You're going to turn to your right. You're going to pick up a Bible reading plan if you haven't already. You're going to pick up a little card. We've got a commitment card you can, you can fill out and turn in next Sunday to say, yes, I will do the four challenges. I hope I've convinced you. Here's, here's three warnings and a tip. Number one, warning number one, don't read the Bible so God will love you more. I just want you to understand something. I don't want you to do this out of guilt. I don't want you to leave saying, hey, man, you know, God created me and he's going to judge me someday, so I better read it. You know, God sent his son to die for me. Can I spare 15 minutes a day? You know, all that's true, but that's not good motivation. Guilt and fear and anxiety do not motivate us well. Please, so, so hear what I'm about to say. If you never read a word of God's book, he's going to love you just as much as if you read the whole thing. Jesus came into this world, God in human flesh, and gave up everything for you. Is it possible for him to love you more? Absolutely not. Is there anything you can do that can make him love you less? No. So if, if you have this motive of fear or guilt, give it up. It's not going to work. You don't need that. And if, on the other hand, you say, well, I'm going to read the Bible so God will start giving me the things I want, God's not going to change the way he treats you based on what you do. So that's not your motive. Warning number two. It's really hard the first time, so stick with it. And, and I mean this, God's Word is tough to read. You've, you've probably read some, you've probably been in Bible studies, you've heard sermons, you've read little devotional books. Well, I, I got news for you, us preachers tend to choose passages that are easy. You read through the whole Bible, you're going to hit passages that your pastors have never touched, and it's hard. You ever been to a foreign country? Some of you have. You know how uncomfortable it is to go to a foreign country because they speak a different language, they drive on the wrong side of the road, they eat these weird foods, they have all these strange customs. You just feel out of place. It takes a long time to feel at home in a new place like that. Well, reading the Bible is not like visiting another country. It's more like visiting another planet. Part of that is because it was written thousands of years ago in languages that aren't even spoken anymore, but mostly it's because God's ways are just different than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and it takes us a long time to readjust our thinking, to realign our thinking so we can understand what God's really saying. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you're going to get discouraged at times. That's part of why we want you to read this particular reading plan. I know some of you will tell me, oh, I got, I got one of those one-year Bibles someone gave me years ago. I guess I'll just use that. That's fine. I don't want to discourage you. But we're encouraging you to, to use our reading plan so that we're all reading the same thing together. That way in life group, next Sunday you can say, hey, what was up with Tower of Babel or whatever, the, whatever you happen to read that, that week and y'all can discuss it. Or you can call me up and say, hey, what's going on? What is this? I don't understand this. And we will welcome your questions and we will answer them as best we can. Reading the Bible is difficult, 
That's why you need to read it alongside others. See, when I was a little boy, my dad built me a treehouse. We had this big spreading oak about 100 yards from our house. And dad built this little platform up there, little stairs that were little uh, steps that went up the side of the tree. Now, I was scared of heights as a little kid. And I still am, actually. And so it was hard for me to get myself up that ladder. Even though it was only about 12 feet in the air, I, I got really anxious about it. But I'd seen so many stories and seen so many cartoons and movies about kids having fun in, the, in, in their uh, treehouse, I thought, well, i got to overcome this. So I just kept going up that ladder. I just kept going up. Every, every time I went outside, I'd go up that ladder and into that treehouse. And you know what happened? Over time, I got less afraid. Over time, I became comfortable in that treehouse. I got so comfortable, I would even get off the little platform and kind of climb up some of those branches. My dad built me a, or, or installed a little rope swing, and I would jump out of the treehouse and grab the rope and swing on it. I just, I got real brave. Why? Because I overcame my fear, because I gained comfort in that place. And that is exactly what will happen when you study God's Word. At first, it's difficult. At first, it will not be comfortable. But you stick with it, and eventually... You begin to fill it home in the Word of God. You begin to explore the depths of God's compassion. So let me say it again. Stick with this. Stick with this. Number three. Warning number three. It will raise difficult questions in your mind. God's Word does not make us more comfortable. In fact, I'll say it this way. If you're one of those people who has a very neat, tidy faith where everything makes sense and all your questions are answered, and you feel comforted, by all means, do not read the Bible. Because it will blow that to bits. Because there are parts in the Bible where God does and says things that totally defy your expectations and your understanding. God's Word is difficult to read and it raises difficult questions in your mind. But that's okay. In fact, that's good. Let me just testify for my own self. I've been blessed with seven years of advanced theological education. I've been preaching the Bible at least two times a week for 22 years. That's a lot of sermons. That's a lot of times I've been studying the Bible. I've been on my own reading through the Bible for longer than that. And I still have a lot of questions that I haven't figured out. A lot of things about God I don't understand. Lots of parts of the Bible, can I be honest? There are parts of the Bible every year when I come to them, I go, okay, here we go. I don't really like this, but okay. And that's good. See, if you're, if you're in a relationship with somebody, they don't agree with everything you think and say. If they do, that's not a real relationship. If you're in a relationship with someone, there's going to be times when they challenge you, times when they question you, times when they disturb you. That's a relationship. And if God wasn't real, if he was just a figurehead that people invented, then he'd be comforting. He'd be easy. He'd be easy to little fit into a tight, tidy, neat little box. But because he's real, he defies our categories and he explodes our expectations. And so I say again, when you have these questions, this is a church where it is okay, in fact, it is encouraged to ask them. And nobody's going to say, oh gosh, anybody knows that. Raise them in your life group. In fact, that's a good reason why you need to be involved in a life group and not just sit here in the big crowd. My email address, the other members of our ministry staff, our email addresses are in the bulletin 
Anytime you want, you can email us with a question you have, and we will be glad to discuss them with you. I don't know the answers. I don't know all the answers. Alan does, but I don't. So, um, but I would love to talk them over with you. So ask those questions. Raise those issues. So here's, here's my tip. Those are my warnings. Here's my tip. Keep a journal. Now, honestly, if you don't do that, you'll still get a lot out of this. If all you do every day is read your 15 or 20 minutes and then put the book on the shelf and don't think about it again, you'll still have your mind changed in ways you can't possibly anticipate. But if you want to get the most out of reading God's Word, I strongly suggest you get a little spiral notebook or a legal pad or what I do is I have a little Word file on my computer and you just, every day when you open your Bible, you have that, that note-taking uh, apparatus with you and you choose, out of, out of all four parts of the Bible you're going to read that day, you choose, okay, here's one truth I want to focus on. Here's one story that meant something to me. Here's one verse that I've never thought of before. Or here's something I, want to, I just want to learn more about. You write that down. And you just pray, Lord, teach me about this. Lord, show me what it would mean if I made this active and relevant in my life, if I lived it out to its fullest. And here's the really cool part about keeping a journal. Months down the road, you can look back and say, okay, here's all that God has taught me in the course of 2019. And you'll be able to see patterns. Oh, I see God was trying to teach me about this particular aspect of his character. Or man, it seems like God kept speaking to me about this particular thing I keep doing in my life. Obviously, that's what he's working on. My guess is that a lot of us here, if we were totally honest, would have to admit my spiritual life is pretty much the equivalent of sleeping on a fold-out bed. Like those newlyweds in Illinois, I'm making it work, but I'm not happy with it, and it doesn't seem like much. And what's even worse, a lot of us have convinced ourselves that it's our fault, that we're just not all that spiritual. Maybe, maybe more spiritually-minded people are destined for these lives of joy and fulfillment, but not me. Actually, no, it's for everybody. Actually, it's not just for people who got ordained. And, and truth be told, sometimes those people, their egos get in the way. No, it's for everyone. The joy, the excitement, the fulfillment, the life-changing purpose is for every single one of you, including you. So why not open that door to all that God has planned for you? And it starts when you commit to get into His Word. Will you do that today?